Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. I have come to bring a sword and not peace. The kingdom will take it by force. Many are called, few are chosen. All of these are statements from Jesus Christ and obviously others that have been misunderstood, misquoted, that have been distorted, and in a society where truth is really created from sound bites, right, in a culture who listens with their eyes and thinks with their feelings, it's just too easy to take Jesus out of context. And in fact, most of us know that any text taken out of context can, pre- can become a pretext. And so the question is, well, what did Jesus say? And what did he mean when he said what he said? And I believe over these next seven weeks, this series is going to intellectually stimulate you, doctrinally challenge you, culturally engage you as we take some of the most controversial statements of Christ and show you how they bring gospel life. Amen? How many are excited about that? Yeah. And so this morning, uh, we get to tackle the first one, and it's going to be found in Dr. Luke's book. So Luke chapter 14, and the verses will be on the screen, starting in verse 25, and it says this. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Wow, did you catch that? Anyone who does not hate their mom, their dad, their brother, their sister, their family, right? Even their own life, their husband, their wife, if you don't hate them, you can't be my disciple, Jesus said. If you don't take up your cross, you cannot be my disciple. Wow. Almost everybody says Jesus Christ, whatever he was, whatever else they believe he is, mostly everybody thinks he was a great teacher. But when you actually get down to studying some of the teachings of Jesus, he has a lot of sayings that we call hard sayings. And partly the reason they're called hard is because, yes, in part, they're hard to understand, right? But also they're called hard because they're hard to swallow. They're hard to accept. They're hard to receive and digest. And in this series, it's going to be almost like a box of chocolates. Y'all know this one, right? You never know what? Oh, my goodness. Oh, that was weak. It's going to be like a box of chocolates. You never know. Yeah, there you go. What you're going to get. And uh, and, and actually, uh, just a small correction, these aren't really going to be like chocolates. Actually, these are going to be like hard candies. You see, you're going to have to take some time with it. Uh, And I believe that as this series unfolds, that we're just going to find ourselves deeper and deeper in the gospel, deeper and deeper in the love of Jesus and the identity of who he is. And I just praise God for that. Wow. If you hate your uh, father and mother, 
then you can follow me. That's crazy. That's crazy. And so on surface, people usually will say something like, that's absurd. That's ridiculous to say that, right? Some of you might say, that's unnecessary. I already hate my mom and dad. I don't need you to tell me how to do that. Already done, right? And what's crazy is that, unfortunately, there are people who have that very hard relationship with their parents. And uh, what Jesus is saying is, if, watch this, if you're going to hate your father and mother your way, the only solution for that is to learn how to hate them my way. That's what Jesus says. So there's a lot in this. We're going to dive in. What is this really about? What is, what is this text what is it that Jesus is really, what, what is it about? It, it's not essentially about moms and dads and brothers and sisters, even though that's what kind of jumps out at us, right? Um, but actually, it's about discipleship. It's about what it means, what it costs to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's really the subject. And what we learn are, uh, you know, a few things, maybe about four or five things that we can pull and learn from what Jesus is telling us. You ready for the first one? Number one, Jesus' discipleship is not optional. Jesus' discipleship is not optional. We learn this from the context mainly because notice, notice who is he saying this to when he says, you know, don't, listen, if you don't hate your mom, if you don't hate your dad, if you don't hate your family, you can't follow me. Who is he saying that to? Notice, he, he, he doesn't say it to his disciples, but instead it says turning from his disciples, turning to the crowd, the large crowd that was there, then he makes this statement. Hmm, very interesting. Jesus turns around and speaks to them about this word, about discipleship and cross and hating uh, your family. And he says it to everybody, not just to his 12 disciples, but to everybody. What does that mean? What does it mean? It means that in Christianity, there are no two standards. Uh, and it's interesting how almost everybody thinks there are sort of two levels or three levels of Christianity. We kind of create this caste system in the church, these spiritually economic classes, if you will, within church, right? And so we have the lower class uh, Christians. These are, these are the EOCs, right? The Easter and, and, uh, and Christmas only CEOs. EOCs, CEOs, sorry. The Christmas and Easter only, right? Those are kind of like the lower class. We kind of put them in lower class. And then, and, and, and you know, we don't know. I mean, you know, we see them once in a while, but we wouldn't even trust them to pray over our food type of thing, you know? And then, and then we kind of have middle class Christians, right? Middle class Christians. These are, these are the Christians that kind of, that, you know, you show up and you come to church and, you know, you'll worship and you'll pray to God when you need something, if you're in trouble or whatever, you know. You'll kind of read your Bible if there's like absolutely nothing to do, power's out, you know. You're just like, well, guess I need to read my Bible. Um, you know, kind of these middle class. You, you might give, you might serve, but you're not really serving, you know, enthusiastically, kind of out of duty, obligation, you know. And then we kind of have like these first class, like super spiritual kind of Christians. You know, Sister Watermelon walks through the door and it's just like amazing. You go to greet her. She can't even say hello. She's doing the wax on, wax off. You know, y'all ever seen that? Wax on, wax Yes, Jesus. You know, you know that one? And, uh, 
and kind of the and, and everything they do is just you know kind of super religious and 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 it's so and it's so weird because in our minds we think oh they must have like crazy faith and and they're they're like you know walking on air type of a thing. Um, and we, we create these sort of the, these sort of caste systems, these these classes, and, and and it's like, well, here's kind of you know people that aren't really you know saved. I guess they're showing up, and then here's like the normal people, and then here's the fanatics over here, right? And what Jesus is saying is Jesus is saying, no, 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 there, there's not different levels. There's not different caste systems. There's not different classes. There, there's just one form of discipleship, and it's either you're all in or you're not. That's all there is. You're either all in or you're not, right? Um, when my wife and I go stay at hotels, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you, you, you're looking them up and you're kind of trying to see the prices. And you, you see a hotel that looks great. It's like four star. You're like, oh, this is great. It's only, you know, 89 bucks. You're like, oh, that's a deal. So you go and you, you get it and, and you go and you sleep and you wake up the next day and there's a bill under the door and you open it up and it's like $150, $200, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? And you're just like, what happened? Well, in the small print, there were all of these fees, right? So, you know, the fees to walk in and the fees to check in and the fees to look at yourself in the mirror and the fees, that, you know, all these little fees that are kind of hidden within uh, the, 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 what was kind of advertised. What I love about Jesus is Jesus does not turn to the crowd and say, hey, I will give you life and give it more abundantly. And then he turns to the disciples and says, oh, but they'll have to carry a cross. He doesn't do that. Right? He doesn't come and say, listen, you're the head and not the tail. You're going to, you know, you're, you're above, you're not beneath. And then he goes to the disciples and say, oh, but guess what? They're going to have to go through some trials. Like, you know, but with Jesus, there's no fine print. He gives you the cost straight up. There's no hidden fees. And this is especially different uh, and, and uh, strange in American Christianity where a lot of even sermons kind of have these hidden fees within them. And so they overpromise and underdeliver, and they say, listen, if you come to Jesus, you'll get this. And then, you know, a month later, you're like, what's up? What happened? And they're like, oh, didn't we tell you? Right? Jesus is saying there's just one standard and one standard only, and I'm upfront about it. I don't hide the costs. I don't hide the difficulties. Uh, I, I, I do not hide all the things that could happen uh, being a Christian, but to be a Christian is to be a disciple. To be a Christian is to put me first, is what he's saying. It's to be all in. In fact, watch this, a Christian without discipleship is a Christian without Christ, which is no Christian at all. A Christian without discipleship is a Christian without Christ, which is no Christian at all. So first of all, discipleship is not optional. It's not optional. That's pretty scary, right? Like, ooh, I came on the wrong Sunday. Wrong Sunday. Remind me not to re-listen to this message on the podcast. Delete, right? Number two, Jesus' discipleship is unpredictable. It's unpredictable. Let's look at the range of what he's saying. He's saying, listen, um, you know, you got to hate your mom, got to hate your dad, your wife, your husband, your children, your brothers, your sisters. L look at all of this. What is he saying? Well, th th in this culture, this is a very uh, uh, family-oriented 
culture where family is sort of the center of everything that you do. Your whole life revolves around family. So when you look at your life, when you look at your agenda, when you look at your present, your past, your future, what your career is going to be, everything, it was all about family. It was all about family. And, and what Jesus is laying out here is he's, is, is he's saying, listen, um, you think in your mind that you know the way your life is supposed to go, right? But, but, but what he's actually doing is he's actually challenging you. He's speaking to these more traditional cultures. And anybody that's from more of a traditional culture where family is everything, you don't disrespect your family, you marry who your family wants you to marry, you, you, know, you, you know what I mean? Those kind of traditional, you, you, you understand this, you can grasp this a little bit better um, because you don't want to do anything, you don't, you don't move far from your family, you kind of stay close, Right? And this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, listen, I, I'm, I'm speaking to your normal agenda, and I'm trying to tell you that, that following me is not going to meet that, that it's going to be unpredictable. In other words, what he's saying is, don't you dare come to me with your agenda from your life with an outline for what you want to do and say, well, God, this is, this is how I want my husband to be. This is what my wife needs to look like. This is what my career, this is how much money I want to make. Here's my agenda. This is what I want to get my degree in. This is the kind of house I want to live in. And here's my agenda, God, and I'm going to come to you and I'm going to see where can I fit you in. God says, do not do that because, because I'm not going to be predictable. See, we, we like predictable God because we can control and manipulate predictable God. But, but, but what real discipleship is, is putting your agenda aside. Put it, it, it's kissing all of that stuff goodbye. It, it's being willing to walk away, you see. And how could Jesus have said it any better than to say you must hate your father and your mother, your brother, your sister, your wife, your child? What better way could he have said it? What better way could he have said in that kind of society, don't come to me because I'm relevant. Don't come to me because I'm exciting. Don't come to me because I'm fulfilling. Don't come to me because I'll make you a better citizen. Don't, don't go to Christianity in order to have a better society. But if you're going to come to Jesus, come to Jesus for Jesus. You see? For Jesus. Now listen, he will be the most revealing thing. He will be the most thrilling thing. He will be the most fulfilling thing, but not if you come to him as such. Thank you. You have to come to me, Jesus says, for me, for me. Not because he's relevant, even though he is relevant, right? But because you have a burning joy and a desire to come to Jesus Christ. He says, I have to be your Lord. Have to be your Lord. We, we, we have to be able to say to God, hey, God, it's your way or no way. Did we not just sing about this in worship? How his way is so much better, right? And so Jesus is saying, don't come to me with your attitude of, well, you know, um, the, you know with mom and dad, and, and I'm, I'm going to kind of you know, figure out how to, how to make things work out, and, and God, I'll fit you in when I have time. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because what you're looking for is safe Jesus. You're looking for safe Jesus. Um, in the Chronicles of Narnia, written by C.S. Lewis, uh, Aslan, who's a, tiger, a lion and represents Jesus Christ, um, there's a part in the book where um, this little girl is, is looking at Aslan and, and she's talking 
to her friend about him, and she says, um, is he safe? Is he safe? You know? And she wants to go up and talk to him, and everybody's talking about who he is, and she said, yeah, but is he safe? Right? And, and, and her friend in the book answered and said, safe? Here's this lion that represents Jesus Christ. Safe? Who said anything about him being safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good, and he's king. He's good, and he's king. Who said anything about Jesus Christ being safe, but he's good, and he's king? In fact, C.S. Lewis says this, until you have given up yourself to him, you will never have a real self. Until you have given up yourself to him, you'll never have a real self. And so he says, listen, you have, you, you, so most of the time when we come to Christ, in our minds, we kind of have our life laid out for us. We, we, we have it orchestrated. And he says, it's not about fitting me into that. It's not about just coming to me whenever you want to, right? It's not, about, it's not about going to God and saying, hey, here's my agenda. Let's see where I can fit, fit you in. But rather, it's about coming to God and saying, listen, it's not, I'm not trying to fit you into mine. Where do I fit into yours? It's about discovering where you fit in God's plan. See? It's about realizing that, hey, not everything is about me. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger purpose. It's not always about me. Look at two or three people just around you and say, it's not about you. Not about you. Not about you. It's not about you. Yeah, say it with attitude, not about you. <laughs> not about you. Yes. Sister in the back, ready to jump up. She so said, yeah, not about you. <laughs> right? Not about you. Jesus' discipleship is not optional. Jesus' discipleship is unpredictable. And Jesus' discipleship is deeply emotional. Jesus' discipleship is deeply emotional. Now, for each one of these, it's going to hit different people. It's going to kind of get different people in a different area. And for some people, this is going to be a big one. But Jesus' discipleship is deeply emotional. Look at the word hate there for just a minute. I remember the first time I heard my daughter tell me she hates me. Mm-hmm. 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 I know, thank you. Take pity on me. It was. <clears throat> yes, it was. And, I, and in that moment, I didn't know what to do. You know, because in this day, you know, how you parent kids is a little different growing than growing up. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, today you're supposed to do like little sticker charts and you have to try to find something, you know, good that they. So you're like, thank you for not kicking me in my teeth today. You get a sticker. Right? <laughs> you know, thanks. Oh, you misbehave. Why don't you go and relax on the bottom of the steps? And when I'm ready for you to get done relaxing, I'll tell you to come out. It's called timeout. You know? Just relax there. I would love timeout. Yes, please send me there. I'll just sit. <laughs> you know. But when she said that, when she said, I hate you, something within me started just grabbing something. I mean, I was just looking for the belt. Looking for a switch, just something. Y'all know the switches? Y'all know the switches? My great grandma used to tell me, go outside and get a switch. She had a big willow tree with these long branches, and you'd go pull them, and she'd take off the leaves. I mean, just quicker than anything. And she'd come like Jesus, whipping up. I mean, she'd just come through, speaking in tongues and everything, just whipping. Yeah, you know. 
And I'm just like, and, and, but you knew it was coming because she'd give a look. You know, look, like, you know, just like. And she would stare for a good, like, 30 seconds. Have you ever been stared at for 30 seconds? It feels like. And if you're like, well, what does, you know, his grandma look like? Like me with, like, a man bun. That's what she Beard and all. Like, that's, that's grandma. You know. Hate. Such a strong word. Such a strong word. Hate. Hate. And it doesn't make sense because Jesus says, love your enemies. When Jesus is dying on the cross, he looks at them and says, Father, forgive them, right? You're not even allowed to hate the wicked. So how in the world could he be talking about family in this way? Well, see, he's not using hate in the normal common sense of being actively hostile. Instead, it's Semitic language in the Bible. The word hate can mean to actively hate, but the the word hate can also mean to comparatively hate comparatively hate. The best example is in Genesis 29. um, And some of you know the story. It's about Jacob. Jacob had two wives and the husbands inside were like, oh, yes, Lord. Not me. I'm like, I couldn't do it. I don't know how to have so many wives. I said, Jesus, that was a curse. That's what that was. People ask all the time, well, how come they were allowed to have so many wives? Because they were cursed. One's enough. One's enough. Praise God. I'm just kidding. I had to get that in before Mother's Day because, you know. And so, yes, Lord. And so, watch this. So Jacob had two wives, and it said that Leah and Rachel, right? And twice in Genesis 29, it says that Jacob loved Rachel but hated Leah. That he loved Rachel but hated Leah. Now, listen, it doesn't actually mean hate in an active sense. But what it means is that he loved Rachel so much that in comparison, it looked like he hated Leah. He was so fascinated. He was so in awe. He was so taken by uh, uh, Rachel that it it looked as though he hated Leah because of his love for Rachel. It's a comparison hate. It's a comparison hate. In fact, in verse 30, it actually explains this. It says it's because he loved Rachel more. More. So it's not that he hated Leah actively, but comparatively. His love was for Rachel. And so so it was just this incredible infatuation of love, right? It's not like he was unkind to Leah. It's not like he ignored Leah. It's not like he didn't enjoy being around Leah. But, I mean, his love for Rachel was just so bright that it just eclipsed his love for Leah. And now we realize, don't we? See, what Jesus is saying, Jesus is trying to get us to understand, if you are going to be my disciple, you have to love me. You have to love me. And and then he mentions all of these kinds of loves, uh, how you love your mom and dad. That's one kind of love. How you love your spouse. That's another kind of love. How you love your kids. That's a different kind of love, right? How you you love your siblings. Y'all know that's a different kind of love. Might even be hard to call that love, right? Right? And what Jesus is doing, he's taking every kind of human love there is. He's taking sexual love. He's taking friendship love. He's taking family love. And he's taking all these loves, all these affectionate loves. And he's saying, I want and I offer a kind of love that will make all of those loves pale in comparison. Oh, hallelujah. 
And he, he's saying, I don't want sentiment. I, I don't want just an inspirational feeling at the end of a sermon. He says, I want love that is real, that is realer than how you love your wife. That is more real than how you love your kids. That is more real than how you love your career and how you love yourself. He says, I want a real kind of love, real kind of love. He says, I want to be your Rachel. I want to be your Rachel. If he, he says, listen, you, you can't be my disciple if, you're not, if there's not a deep emotional connection to me. You see? It's a crazy thing. He's saying, you have to love me. You have to love me to where it eclipses everything else. I want, I want you to interact with me. I want you to have a sense of embrace. I want to have a sense of communication, a sense of delight. And so he's taking all of these kind of human loves and he's saying, I'm offering something. And, 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 and I want something that makes all of those just pale in comparison. In fact, St. Augustine, when he talks about this, he, he talks about the essence of what it is to be a disciple. And, and he's saying this, he's saying, it, it's not that, it, listen to what he's not saying, it's not that you aren't to love your family. It's not that you aren't to love your spouse. It's not that you aren't to love a career and, and getting an education. It, it, that, that's great. Love those things, right? That's not the problem. That's not the problem. Watch this. The problem isn't that you love other things too much. The problem is that you love Jesus Christ too little in relation to them. I will. So the problem isn't that you love other things too much, right? The problem is, is that you love Jesus Christ too little in relationship to them. Therefore, the essence of a transformed character, the essence of what it means to grow into discipleship is to hate all things comparatively. It, it, it's, to let, it's to let Jesus be your Rachel, to be the fairest among 10,000. You, you have to have this kind of deeply embedded emotional love. And you might be thinking, well, how do I do that? I mean, I just kind of, you know, get myself, you know, kind of all in a, I mean, how do I do it? How do I work that kind of love up? I mean, what do I do, right? Do, do, do I spend more time praying and reading my Bible and, you know, attending church services? I mean, is that how you do it? No. See, the answer lies in my fourth point. Jesus' discipleship is completely positional. Jesus' discipleship is completely positional. We're told here that you're supposed to take up your cross. Notice he doesn't say, take up my teachings and follow me. Notice he doesn't say that, right? Notice he doesn't say, take up my example and follow me. He doesn't say that. Take my advice and follow me. And here's why, because that would actually be much harder. Can you imagine trying to take up the teachings of Jesus? Think of the Sermon on the Mount. There's no way we could live up to that. It would crush us. It would crush us. What does he say? He says, take up the cross. Take up the cross. What does that mean? I mean, if, to, to them, it sounded so bizarre because it would be like, uh, you know, someone saying, take up the electric chair. You know? Go ahead. Take it up. Take up the guillotine. Right? The, 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 this, the, this symbol of execution. And this is what Jesus is saying. The, the, the essence of discipleship is to realize that when I died, you died. See, when we pick up our cross, what we're realizing is when he died, we died. 
In fact, Paul says this in Colossians 3. He says, set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You died. Look at somebody next to you say, you died. You died. You died. The Bible says it over and over again. Right? You died. In other words, the minute you became a believer in Jesus Christ, you died on the cross with him. The Bible says you died with him and you were buried with him and you rise. What does that mean, though? It means that God looks at you right now as if you paid all the penalties for every cent of your sin. See, if you are a person who believes in Jesus and you start beating yourself up over your sin, know this. Listen to what theologian D.A. Carson says. He says, because as far as God is concerned, you've already been beaten. You've been flogged. You've been crowned with thorns. You've been speared. You've been nailed. You've paid it all. Your life is hid with God in Christ. Now, when God looks at you, he sees what Jesus has done. In fact, Dr. Luke says in chapter 9, he says, take up your cross daily, daily. Every day, get up and remind yourself who you are in Christ. Remind yourself that you have died. Remind yourself that there's nothing to prove. There's nothing more you can do to add on to this thing called salvation. You are accepted and you are loved the minute you accept Jesus Christ. You see, and you live in its shadows. See, what it means on one hand is I'm living a life of sacrificial service. But what it means on the other hand is I'm doing it out of the fullness of knowing what he did for me. Take up your cross. Do you realize what that is? I can live with emotional wealth from knowing your position in Jesus, knowing your standing, knowing where you stand with him, knowing what you look like to the Lord. In other words, discipleship is emotional because it's positional. You can live out your emotional wealth because of your position, your identification in Christ and in his death. That's what it means to take up the cross. In fact, I'll push it even further. It, notice it doesn't just say, hey, hate you know, all these people, your parents and your spouse and your kids, and, right? But it also says even hate your own life. Notice it says that? And what does that mean? To hate your own life. It, it, it doesn't mean to be filled with self-loathing, or, right? Or to be filled with self-disdain. Um, but, but it means not to be absorbed with your own self. Not to only think about your own needs and, your own, and, and who you are. In fact, watch this. We are being called in this verse to an ego crucifixion on the basis of Jesus' crucifixion. To, to, to crucify our ego on the basis of Jesus' crucifixion. So it's not, it's not self-loathing, but, but it, it's called ego, uh, ego crucifixion. And, and it's kind of this joyous thing that happens to you because you're like saying, I have nothing to prove. Uh, I'm, I'm everything I am in Jesus Christ. In Jesus. It's positional. It's positional. In fact, when we gather on Tuesday, when we gather to pray together, we're not praying for victory, but we're praying from victory because it's positional. It's positional. Discipleship is not optional. Discipleship is unpredictable. Discipleship is emotionally, is deeply emotional because discipleship is gloriously positional, which means discipleship is totally unconditional what it means 
It means it's totally unconditional. It's unconditional. See, when you saw a man carrying a cross, when you saw a man hanging on a cross, you knew that that was the last thing that that person was going to do. Right? You know, it's not like they were like, well, let me just try this cross on for size and see if I like it, you know. Let me just see how this feels hanging up here. And if, I, if I'm not really feeling it, I'll get down, you know. That's not what it was. No. When, they, when you saw someone carrying a cross, when you saw someone hanging on the cross, that was it. It was unconditional. That was the last thing they were going to do. They weren't going to do anything else. And Jesus says, when you come to me, it has to be because you're not going to do anything else. You, you, you don't try Christianity like a dress. To see if it reveals your good parts and hides your bad parts. That's not what Christianity is, you see. But if you're going to come to Christ, you have to come to him 100, 100, you see. Because when you saw a person under the cross, they were under arrest. They were under arrest. And for us, that's offensive. We don't like that. Are you saying that if I'm in Christianity, I'm under arrest in Christ? We We don't like that. Because... Earlier, I showed how this speaks to a traditional mindset, but this also speaks to a kind of a modern age, a, a Western way of thinking, this individualistic way of thinking, this secular society, right? Because we think no one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me how to have my own rights. And Jesus says, "Ah, uh-uh, if you're with me, you're under arrest. You see, you, you do what I say and, 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 and your feelings come second. And we don't like that. Some of you right now do not like what I'm saying. You're getting, you're getting antsy and you've gotten quiet and you're like, well, I don't know about all that. Yes, that's the pride. Stop it. <laughs> right? We don't want to give that up. It's, we, we want Jesus to be Savior. He can save us from stuff. But Jesus, don't be King. Don't be Lord. You can save me from my problems, but, but don't tell me what to do. Mm. See, and, and so, and so what happens is we come to Christ and, and what Jesus is saying, listen, if you're going to be my disciple, you're carrying a cross, which means there's no going back. There's no going back. Let me ask you this. On what basis are you making your moral decisions right now? What, what's, what's the touchstone? What, what are you making them on? On what basis, uh, uh, you know, on, on maybe how you feel, maybe on what the culture says to do? Or is it on the basis of Jesus Christ? See, either you've taken up the cross or you haven't. Either you're under arrest or you're not, right? There, there's, not there's not this middle ground. Either, e- either you are walking in the light of Jesus Christ and you have set, accepted him as Savior and not based on anything that you did, not because you're holy enough or you're righteous enough or you come to church enough or you read a lot or you pray a lot, not based on it, but just based on trusting in Jesus Christ. Either you've done that or you haven't. As I conclude... There's a cross. There's a cross. Every day you have to wake up and realize that there's a cross. If you're going to follow me, you have to hate your father and your mother and your spouse and your kids and your brother and your sister. If you do not hate them, you cannot follow me, Jesus said. If you're going to follow me, you have to take up your cross. If you do not take up your cross, you cannot follow me. You cannot be a disciple. Wow. Wow. My goodness. There's a cross. Every day you have to wake up and realize that, there are, that there's areas in our life that, that have to be crucified. Attitudes 
that need to be crucified. Mindsets that need to be crucified. Somewhere in your relationships, in your circumstance, in your life, there's a cross. And a cross that, yes, it drives you to pray. And yes, it drives you to worship. And yes, it drives you to forgive people. Because what you realize is you don't have time to be petty. You don't have time to be petty. Worrying about what he said, she said, they said. You don't got time for that. Look at somebody say, I ain't got time for that. Nobody got time for that. Nobody got time for that. Nobody got time for that. There's a cross. There's a cross. And look what he says. Follow me. There's somewhere I'm going. There's somewhere I want to take you. There's somewhere I'm wanting to take you. Won't you follow me? He said. By hating your father and your mother and your brother and your sister and your spouse and your kids. In other words, by loving God so much that in comparison, it just, I mean, it just eclipses. It just outshines. It just outshines. And this isn't a moralistic push to do better, but to look at the one who's already done it. The key isn't to try with all your might to be good and to, I'm going to really try this time not to mess up and I'm going to really do, you know, that's not the key. That, that path only leads to failure. You see, that path only leads to you being your own king and you being your own God because you're relying on your own self. That's not the answer. That's not the key. It's not moralism, but rather it's looking at the one that is good. It's looking at Jesus Christ and laying it all down and loving Jesus more than anything else. Than anything else. It's about coming to him and saying, I'm going to put my agenda aside, God. Because your way is better. Because your way is better. As we go to worship and we end and we begin and and we're going to end with worship because we're going to reflect and we're going to respond to the message. I wonder, is there something in your life that you love more than Christ? Is there something? Is there something in your life that, it, you know, and only you can know that, that you love more? Have you picked up your cross? Have you said, I am in this? And, and I'm in this doesn't mean I, I, I'm not going to mess up. That's not what it means. Uh, saying I'm in this doesn't mean I'm going to live perfectly. That's not what it means. Saying I'm in this doesn't mean there's not going to be times where I'm not feeling it. There's not going to be times where I maybe feel a little bit down or there's not going to be times where I feel like I'm going through something hard. That's not what it means because carrying a cross is hard. (laughs) Carrying a cross means there's going to be times where you don't feel like it. I mean, who wakes up in the morning and says, guess what? I'm going to carry a cross today. Nobody. (laughs) But carrying a cross simply means, God, I'm reminding myself that I died in you when you died for me. I'm reminding myself, my identity is in you. And God, I love you more than anything in the world. In the world. Will you stand to your feet? Heavenly Father, we just come before you, God, and we're about to just lift up our voices to you and some of us are going to lift up our hands. I hope all of us lift up our hearts as we come to just shine, as we come to just pour our love on you like a broken bottle of perfume, God, that we're just going to pour it out, God. We're just going to love you, God, and, and help us, Heavenly Father, because sometimes that's a challenge, God. 
It's a challenge to not focus on other people or not focus on other things or not focus on other destinies. Uh, 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 and we tend to put more into those things than we do in you. But God, we're coming this morning to say we want to love you more than anything else. This is such a challenging message. And God, I don't know if, if I can live up to this, God. But Heavenly Father, what I do know is that I don't have to worry about it because I trust you. I trust you. And I love you, God. I love you so much. And I thank you for all that you have done for me, God. And I praise you, Lord Jesus, because you are worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspire Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.